0: Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you today as we begin a new series that we are calling Treasure, a series where we explore this simple truth. What matters to God should matter to us. What is valuable to God should be valuable to us. What is most important to God should be most important to us. But I think each of us would probably agree that is not always the case, is it? We can be consumed by that which doesn't matter. We can be overtaken by that which is the opposite of God's heart. We can forego the treasures that last to pursue the treasure that rots away. We've all done it. And so it's my hope today to narrow that lens, to focus our lives on that which is the focus of God. And so we start today with a treasure that is perhaps the most obvious. If it's not, it certainly will be obvious when we're done. As we discuss this essential truth, God treasures people. God treasures people. All of Scripture points to that truth, but the passage we look at today will do so from the writing of John, John the Apostle. In fact, it is a passage that we read together last week as part of our Easter services. Today we're going to unpack that passage further in hopes of getting a new understanding of the way that God treasures people as Pastor Brandon mentioned last week. The author is John the Apostle. John, who wrote the book of John, but also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those letters, and the book of Revelation. So, was a pretty prolific guy. Said a lot. And I think it might be helpful for us, though, to give us a little bit more insight into John as a person, because that's going to help us understand his voice even better. So, I'd like to to tell you a story about the Apostle John from history. Okay, you won't find this in scripture. This is a story from history. It's a story told by a historian named Eusebius. And uh, here's how that story goes. Eusebius tells us that after John's time of exile on the island of Patmos, he goes to Ephesus and several other cities nearby. In one of those cities, he meets a young man um, and that it was obvious to John that God's hand was on this young man's life, that God was just doing amazing things. He was was being used by God. He was a leader. Um, And so he had, John had to travel. So he told the bishop of that town, I want you to take care of that young man, baptize him, continue to train him until I come back. And then I'm going to disciple him when I get back. So John leaves, goes on some trips, comes back to that town and he asks, about that young man and the bishop says he's dead well he's dead to God anyway and John's like what what do you mean he says the bishop says well he he while you're gone he got in with the wrong crowd um, with some criminals uh, you know thieves that sort of thing and so he kept going down that road and he is now the leader of a violent gang of criminals that has a stronghold up in the mountains John hears this and is just overwhelmed. He tears his robe. He's like, I can't believe this is happening. This is not okay. This is not tenable. And so he says, get me a horse. (laughs) So old man John gets on this horse and rides to that mountain stronghold, where, of course, he is taken prisoner by the henchmen that are on watch. He tells the henchman who would taken prisoner, he says, I want you to take me to your leader. <laughs> and they do so. And so they take him directly to this young man that previously he had been discipling. And get this, when that young man saw John, this young man who's now a big, tough mob leader, says that young man ran away. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm going away. And we're told that John chased him on horseback, yelling at him, saying, I promised Jesus that I would get you to him and I will do that whether or not it takes my life and costs me my life. I'm going to see you restored. (laughs) I'll do that for you. John eventually catches him after saying those things and the young man throws down his weapons. He receives the embrace of the Apostle John, and he cried, in a sense, baptizing himself once again with his own tears. came back to relationship with John and ultimately with Jesus. Why? Because John pursued him with the fearless love of God. That's the kind of person who wrote what we're about to read a person who so knew the love of God that the deepest pit of danger and depravity could never be enough to keep him away. John was the kind of person that lived a life that declared, as long as I have Christ, what can you do to me? (laughs) He's like, "I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. You can strand me on an island. You can threaten me with death. Do your worst because I am loved by Jesus. Whatever you throw at me in this life is nothing compared to that truth. That's why when John described himself, he said simply, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. (laughs) It's all I know, and really, it's all that matters. That knowledge, that experience made everything different. Yeah. John didn't just know about God's love. John knew God's love. He experienced God's love. He was defined by God's love. He knew he was God's treasure. And John would want each of us to know the same. That in Christ, we have favor. And that favor allows us to operate from a different set of rules. It reminds me when... um, When I was in high school, I used to work out at this Nautilus gym that was nearby our house. And, you know, you pay a monthly fee to work out there and do that. I did that through a lot of my high school time. And through that time, I became friends with the owner, this very nice lady, and and I became friends with her. And when I graduated from high school and started going to college, uh, and I would come back on breaks and come back on weekends, summer, all that sort of thing, eventually she, she came to me, she said, Aaron... I want you to know I'm not going to charge you fees anymore to work out here. I just, whenever you come to town, just work out here for free. When you're here on spring break, when you're here in the summer, just work out here for free. I, I just, I'm not going to charge you anymore. I just, I, I, I want to do that for you. You never have to pay here again. She said, don't tell your friends that because they're, they're going to keep paying. <laughs> but for you, you don't have to pay. And so I had to be cool with my other friends that that were, talking about going to the gym and they talk about having to pay and I didn't want to look like I was the favorite. So I'd be like, oh yeah, paying those fees, right? Yeah, got to pay those dues. Yeah, inflation, you know, got to pay. It's tough. The gym fees, I tell you, death, taxes and gym fees. Am I right? You just got to pay them, you know. I just had to be cool. But the truth was the rules of that place didn't apply to me because I had favor with the owner The Apostle John knew that to be true regarding Jesus and this world. I can do anything in my life that Jesus asked because I'm favored by the one who owns everything. I am favored and I am a favorite. And so are you. Which brings us to our quest today, which is to learn how God shows us what a treasure we are to him. And the first thing I point out is this. God treasures people through adoption. God treasures people through adoption. Let's start out this passage, 1 John 3, starting verse 1, first part of it. Let's read it together right where you are. Big voices, go. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are John almost interrupts his teaching right here with this emotional outburst. All we have in in the print is this exclamation point, but it's really so much more when you you read it. Up to this point, John had just been, in, in the passage in this letter, he'd been a good teacher. He was talking about what it looked like to walk in righteousness as a reflection of who God is, just teaching really well. But then we get to this moment and he erupts. It's like he just can't help himself see what great love the Father has lavished on us. The original language has this idea that it's saying, from what country has this kind of love come from? This is so alien to us. (laughs) This love is like nothing we've ever known. And that other Worldly love has been lavished, has been given, has been bestowed upon us. And so we see two things take place here. That God first calls us his children and then makes us his children. What's the the distinction? Well, here it is. The first one, the calling us, is, is a legal change in Christ. That's really kind of what's happening here. Where God says legally these are now my heirs. They're they're under my covering. I'm establishing who they are to me in a legal sense. I'm defining our relationship, sons and daughters, daughters and sons. God is signing the legal papers to establish that. Okay? Legally this is who they are. But then we see John's exuberant expression and that is what We are. We are first called God's children on paper, but then we can become God's children in person. It's not just legal standing. No, it's family resemblance. Not just binding transaction. No, it's life transformation. Not just a new name, a new person. Not only am I called God's child, I actually, through this relationship, start to look like God's child. <laughs> Certainly not perfectly, no, not without blemish, absolutely not, but there is a family resemblance where that relationship with God, it, it kind of makes sense over time. We can actually start to see the connection between that person and Jesus. Oh, I, I see it. I get it. It makes sense to me. It, it's like um, if you've ever seen some of the auditions for one of the talent shows that you have on TV, your American Idol, Americans Got Talent, uh, X Factor, all that stuff. They will sometimes interview a person beforehand and that, they'll say, are, are you a you, you know the next great singer of the world Nobody they like oh yeah I am the the, the next I'm going to win this whole thing I am a great singer there's no one who can sing like me I'm going to be the next American Idol I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to tour the world I'm I'm going to get Grammys I, I'm that person I am it and then they sing <laughs> and dogs start barking <laughs> And children start crying. Sound techs are turning things down. Microphones are, are feeding back. They're like, make it stop. Make it stop. We'll pay you now to make it stop. Anything, just make it stop. Please don't do it. And they're going, you're saying you're this, but nothing about you reflects it. You're saying this, but who you are is nowhere near. There's no connection between what you say and who you appear to be. This is what Jesus wants to change in us. John is exclaiming that in Jesus, we're not just given the title of heir, the title of treasured one. No, we're also given the means of truly becoming that, of looking like a daughter or a son of God. It's like on my driver's license. It shows that I live in Eugene, Oregon, in the United States. It says it right on my driver's license. That's my legal address. And that document, that driver's license, it proves that. Yet beyond that, if someone, say, from Africa meets me, they will automatically know I'm from America. They'll know by my language. They'll know by my accent. Furthermore, my clothes might give away that I'm from the Northwest. A lot of flannel, obviously. Maybe I'll have some Oregon Duck gear on. Okay, it looks like they're from the Northwest. And if you talk with me, you'll hear some passions in my life that also reflect that. That I I love fly fishing. I love walking in the rain, perhaps, or counting how many marijuana dispensaries are on my drive home. That kind of thing. You know, just Northwest kind of stuff. That's what we do. All of it proving that I'm a citizen of Oregon in the legal sense, but I'm also a citizen in the life sense. I'm an Oregonian. I reflect the title I carry. I don't just carry an Oregon driver's license. I carry Oregon with me. For those who love Jesus, we must not just carry the name Christian. We must carry Christ, This is good news for us as God's treasured children, as the recipients of God's adoption. We see God's plan is that this title is both given to us and expressed by us. It's legal and it's lived. It's who God says I am and it's who I actually am. That as God's treasured ones, God longs to make us both legal heirs and living proof. And John is exclaiming, shouting, bubbling over with excitement because this is what God does. We're called God's children and that is what we are. The question is, will we believe that? Will we trust God for that kind of transformation that my adoption gives me both standing with God and resemblance to God. That's what my adoption must do. That's what we get to trust God to do in us. Because God treasures people through adoption. That's the first thing. Here's the second. God treasures people through connection. Let's continue the passage, 1 John 3, second part of verse 1. Let's read it together. Big voices go. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Know is an important word. Knowing Christ. Th- this idea, it makes us relate to everything differently. This is telling us of a, of a distinction where we, to the world, we become almost mysterious, almost foreign, alien. in some ways, to those not connected to Jesus. That the presence of Jesus in my life alters the experience of others around my life. That everything in my life gets viewed through the Jesus lens. Here's an example. As much as I like to nerd out uh, on Star Wars, uh, Lord of the Rings, Marvel, all that stuff, superhero stuff, and, and part of it is just straight nerd. I just love it. I think it's great. But another part of it is for this reason. Because of Jesus in my life, all those stories to me become God stories. Okay? Here's what I mean. In The Lord of the Rings, when it's Aragorn coming to defeat the evil one with an army of the dead that owes their allegiance to the one true king, that sounds like Jesus to me. It's a God story. In the Avengers, Infinity Wars, it's Iron Man wielding the Infinity Gauntlet, knowing it will save the lives of others, but it will end his own. So he gives his life. Sounds like Jesus to me. Becomes a God story. It's Wonder Woman hearing the cries of the oppressed and the abandoned in a village cut off by Nazi troops with allied forces pinned down in fear, yet she refuses to to let the voices of the timid and the frightened to keep her from the fullness of her calling, so she runs across no man's land and sets the captives free. It sounds like Jesus to me. It's a God story. Oh, I got more. In The Mandalorian, it's Dingerin laying down uh, that, that stifling yoke of religion that he was raised with in order to take off his mask and show full and authentic love to Grogu, the child that he would rescue and protect. It sounds like Jesus. It's a God story. <laughs> See, Because of my connection to Christ, every story becomes a God story. Every story becomes a gospel story. Every great story reminds me of the story of God's great love. That's what this connection to God does. I see everything through that lens. My relationship with God informs my relationship with everything else. So here we see this truth right here in this passage, it tells us the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know Christ. Meaning that my connection to Christ empowers my connections to others. It elevates them, making those bonds stronger than if, it was, if I was simply connecting on my own. In other cases, though, that connection makes me appear foreign because Jesus is not of this world. So my connection to Christ, it defines every other connection in my life. Where Christ is present, it's like the plus and minus poles of a magnet. We're drawn together where Christ is present. But where Christ is absent, it's as though they're pushed apart. And it's this distinction that defines the treasure that God views us as. Meaning, because you're connected to Jesus... You won't blend in. You're not supposed to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why? Because where you go, eternity goes with you. Light shines from you. Grace works through you. If you're going to walk with Jesus, say goodbye to blending in. Mm -hmm. Recently, we were... um, visiting Paula's aunt. And uh, she was showing us uh, her new apartment, which was really cool. And, and she had in her apartment these uh, shelves. And, um, and on these shelves were items that were on display that were very important to her. And, and they were beautiful things of, of glass and precious metal and, and photographs. And, and she spoke to us about each of them. She'd say, this one is from my daughter, and, and this one is from my husband, and this one was from this experience. And it was as though those stories, they reminded her uh, of, of all that she'd walked through in life, and they were stories that were told in artistry and captured in symbol and form. And she kept them in a special place where she and others could always see them. Why? Why? because you don't keep treasure in a drawer. No, they were distinct. They held a unique and honored place. Why does that matter? Because that, friends, is exactly how God sees you. Not a treasure he wants to hide, no, a treasure he wants to put on display. That is how God views those who have received the gift of his love amidst the pain of this world. Let me show you Exodus 19.5 and the message says it this way. If you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant, that's God speaking, out of all peoples, you will be my special treasure. God wants us to be so connected to Christ as his treasure that we finally discover our distinct place in the universe our place on the shelf, that that we really aren't intended to be like everyone else because our connection to Christ has made us a unique expression of his grace. That's what happens when we're connected to Christ because God treasures people through connection. That's the second thing here is the last thing. God treasures people through transformation transformation. Let's finish the passage, 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3. Let's read it big voices right where you are. Go, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So what we see here is a future hope of full transformation and a present process of partial transformation, okay? Future hope of full transformation, present process of partial transformation, meaning one day we will be like Jesus, fully transformed. Awesome, right? As it says, right now, we're children of God. One day we will be fully grown into whatever that fullness looks like. That day will take place when Christ appears, when Christ returns. But it is our hope in that completed future that allows me to be set in a process today, a process of becoming pure, where I'm transformed every day to look more like Jesus. This is the hope it refers to. This is our hope in Christ, to make us pure just as God is pure. So how does that happen? Is it willpower? (laughs) Is it more religious control? Maybe we need a lot more of that in our life or perhaps more (laughs) self-discipline. No, I think we've all tried that and we have failed miserably. So what is the, the solution? Well, the solution seems to be wrapped up in one phrase here. When Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. This life transformation is the result of one thing, being in view of Jesus. Being in view of Jesus. Certainly only a view we will get in fullness when Christ returns, but in the meantime, in the waiting, even in the obstructed view of this life, we still try to get that view of Jesus in the walking through this broken world, trying to bring the light of Jesus, it seems that this truth breaks through. The degree to which we see God becomes the degree to which we show God. I'll say that again. The degree to which we see God becomes the degree to which we show God. You ever notice that the longer people have a pet, the more they start to look like that pet? It's weird, right? It happens. (laughs) You ever notice that the longer people are married, the more they start to look like each other? You know? (laughs) Paula, at times, has made me, I've come downstairs after getting dressed and she's made me go up and change clothes because we end up dressing identical somehow. And she's like, we're not not going out like that. We're not doing that. I think the weirdest part is when married people, not just in clothing, but they actually start to look like each other in their faces over time. And you would start to wonder, are, are they married or are they siblings? Hopefully they're not both. You know, it's just, it's like, wow, how, how did that happen? I'm convinced it's this. I'm convinced it's a product of a great deal of time beholding one another. And in all of that beholding of the other, they end up becoming like the other. Here's what that means for us if I don't spend any time looking at Jesus, it's doubtful that others will see a lot of Jesus in me. I can't reflect that which I am not facing. This is when my life moves from knowing some stuff about God to knowing God. It moves from understanding to standing under. It moves from knowing to beholding because God treasures people through transformation. And that is how he changes us. I'll wrap up with this. In May of 1987, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution ran this story. They talked about a rock hound. Uh, named Rob Cutshaw. He owned a, a little roadside shop outside Andrews, North Carolina, where he'd sell rocks and things like that. Like many in the trade, he would go and, and hunt for rocks, but then he'd, he'd sell them to jewelry makers and collectors and that sort of thing. And he, he knows enough about rocks to decide which ones to pick up, which ones not to, which ones can sell. But, but he would say he's no expert. He leaves the appraising of, uh, of rocks to other people. Now, as much as he enjoyed his work, it didn't always pay the bills. And so occasionally he would moonlight cutting wood, selling firewood, that sort of thing to put food on the table. So while he was on a dig some 20 years ago, Rob found a rock that he described as purdy and big. (laughs) It's a big rock and it's purdy. And so he tried unsuccessfully to sell the specimen, you know, he couldn't get what he wanted for it, so he just kept it under his bed, just kind of waited on it, just put it under there. He guessed the blue chunk could bring maybe as much as $500, you know, to the right person. But he, he thought he would have taken less if, if a bill had come up, like a power bill he had to pay. He, he probably would have taken less for it. But in, in the end, he just ended up keeping it under his bed. And that's about as close as he came to to hawking for a few hundred dollars, what ultimately he did take to a a gem expert, where they found that this purdy and big rock that he had been drawn to was in fact, the largest and most valuable sapphire ever found on earth. The blue rock that Rob had abandoned in the darkness under his bed, is now known as the Star of David, Sapphire. The cut stone weighs in at more than 2,000 carats and has a current market value of $175 million. It was an extraordinary treasure, yet for so long it was unseen and unrefined. Do you know that God wants to do both of those things in us? that God wants to see us and refine us, to remind us that we are his treasure unearthed by his grace and to also invite us to a process of refining and polishing that reveals our full potential in that God wants to be both our treasurer and our treasurer that in response to God's love, we would offer to God our lives, offer them fully, knowing that in his hands we can become a genuine reflection of his design. And God shows us that treasure design through our adoption, through our connection, through our transformation. Could it be that we could take our cue from this apostle who knew Jesus so well that we too would erupt with joy over the gift that we've been given could we take his words and make them our own could you hear god's heart for you today see what great love the father has lavished on you that you would be called a child of god and that is what you are could we receive that today? Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at CoveChurchPnW. PNW. We'll see you next time.